I am created in the image and the likeness of divinity. I am known and I am loved by the creator of all things. Created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that he prepared in advance for me to do. I am saved. I am forgiven. Now I know that I can keep learning about God. And I just love being here and the people that surround me are just amazing people. I cried and I asked God for forgiveness. And he answered my prayers with love. And I began to start seeing myself through his eyes. I want them to see that God is life. And I want to be a light for God. My life has changed by having a bigger heart for people. You know, we read the Bible together. They preach. There's music. There's love here. And most of all, I want to thank God. Because I know I got more of him. Not 50%. I'm getting 100% from him. And that's the reason why I come to church here in Jordan. He got me here. Uh, living life through his love and spreading it to others just makes me feel like a better person on the inside. And just knowing his love for me and others makes the world seem like a much better place. I'm here to tell you right now that Jesus is my Lord and Savior and he loves me. We are not just here for us. What will make Journey a great church? You've got to hear this from me. It is not the seating capacity of this church. It is the sending capacity of this church to bring the greatest news ever announced to the crumpled lives around me because they're valuable to God. God's on the move. Amen. Amen. God is on the move around our church. You feel it. You see it. We have to say it. You need to get on the move and move to the middle because there's more people that need to get in here. God is on the move. But here's what we want you to hear this morning. We do not believe in any way that what we're seeing right now is the high water mark of what God wants to do in and through Journey Church and what God wants to do in and around our valley. We believe, friends, that this is just the foundation. This is just a foundation that God is laying now for things immeasurably more that he wants to do in us and through us. Brian read the scripture earlier. We've just got one scripture we're gonna think about today. Ephesians chapter 320. Now all glory to God, who is able through his, his mighty power at work within us to accomplish immeasurably more than we might ask or think. I want you to know we are not confused around here 
about why these things are happening. These things are happening because of God himself. And Paul wants us to understand that here. Whose glory is this to? It is God's glory. Who has the ability to move toward immeasurably more? It tells us God has the ability. Whose mighty power accomplishes immeasurably more? Not us. It's him. His mighty power and his alone. But what Paul tells us is all of that is at work within us. God's ability, his glory, his power is at work in us to accomplish immeasurably more. Friends, God is calling us to immeasurably more. We want to celebrate that. God is a God who celebrates immeasurably more. But you know what else God celebrates? God celebrates one. Just one. I mean, we can talk about a lot of numbers And numbers are just numbers, but numbers, friends, represent people. Numbers represent the one, and God cares about the one. Our God is the one who tells us a story about leaving the 99 and going after the one because the one is what he had his eye on. And when he found the one and the one came back to him, he said he threw a great party. The scriptures tell us, that there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents than over the 99 who do not need to repent. God sees one. I want you to hear that this morning. God sees you. It's not just about numbers. It's about you. It's about the one. I want to share with you a story about one. And this one was in our worship gathering a couple weeks ago, and he sent me this email, and I have his permission to share it. Here's what James sent to me. He said, good morning, Bob. I stopped in a few times this week to chat with you in person, but you were out both times, so I thought an email might serve better. I think that I would be remiss if I didn't tell you how moving and transformational your message was during last Sunday's 9 a.m. service. Furthermore, something happened to me which leaves me compelled to tell you. Right about the time you crumpled up that $100 bill, I felt this very strange feeling come over my body, almost like I was tased by a very light and weak taser. Then I felt a warm sensation surge through my body, and then a few moments later, I began to cry. I truly believe that I finally received God into my soul at that moment. You see, I was that crumpled $100 bill for so many years. I hid that pain and suffering for 20 years with drugs and alcohol. In short, I was certain that I no longer had value. In 2013, I chose the path of sobriety and began my search for God. I would see him from time to time, but that absolute connection eluded me. Earlier this summer, I spent 24 days on Denali, attempting to climb the tallest mountain on this continent. And much like it says in the book of Mark, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, after being compelled by the Spirit to go into the wilderness, I was tempted by demons. But I was able to walk off that mountain much closer to God and his kingdom than I ever thought possible. But still, that absolute connection eluded me. 
until I found Journey about six weeks ago upon moving to Bozeman. That connection was only strengthened during your sermon on Sunday. So I wanted to say thank you for delivering a message of God in a way that was able to find its way past my oft misguided mind and into my benevolent heart. I know now more than ever that when I walk with God, I am never alone. I am a force of goodness and compassion. Hope to see you soon. All the best, James. We probably didn't hear it two weeks ago, but heaven did. Heaven threw a major rager for James. A party and a celebration like we know nothing about. We're going to talk about more, but we're going to talk about more for the sake of the one. God sees the one. It's a little bit of a unique Sunday. We've tried to make it fun. We don't want it to feel like an annual meeting. But we want you to know where we're going. What are we about? What matters to us? What are the things that make our heart beat? What are the things that keep us up at night? You need to hear that from the leadership of your church. A few months ago, our lead team and our council and our staff gave us input. We began to pray and reflect on where are we as a church And in light of where we are, where do we sense that God is asking us to go? Because that's our job as leaders of this church, friends. We've got to get our sails up and just say, Holy Spirit, where is your wind blowing? Because we want to catch whatever wind he has to move us wherever it is that he wants us to go. We've got to hear the Spirit. And as we emerge from that time... We sensed that there were five priorities that we as a church needed to give our life and our energy to in this next season to be about the immeasurably more that God is asking us to move toward. The first priority is this, rows to circles. Have you, have you heard that before? <laughs> well, it ain't changing. Rows to circles. Here's what we mean. We've got to be a church that moves out of rows and into circles. And when we say a circle, what we're talking about is a circle of people that we are doing life with, that we have an actual spiritual family, that we are regularly engaging with, that is helping us learn how to follow Jesus. We're making disciples in those circles. We're learning how to live the up and the in and the out life of Jesus together. We've got to move from rows to circles. A couple of weeks ago, After the sermon, I was sitting down here and a man came up to me and he said, do you have a minute? I need to talk when this is over. Um, As a preacher, you never know if you said something that offended somebody, Uh, but I could tell that there was an urgency in him. And so when our gathering ended, I was kind of looking around and he made his way to the front. We had an opportunity to sit down and talk. And he just looked at me and he said, I just feel compelled by the Holy Spirit I don't normally do things like this, but I've just got to say, as I sat in this service today, I felt so alone. I felt so alone. And he said, and I just got this sense that it wasn't just me, that there were other people all around me and they were feeling alone too. And as we had this conversation, as a pastor, it's just everything in you just breaks because I know God doesn't want us to be alone. We need people in our life. 
When the wheels come off, we've got to have that 2 a.m. phone call, people that we can talk, that will be there for us. And all I could tell him is, we're working on it. We've got to get better. We've got to get out of rows and into circles. He needs a circle. You need a circle. Every one of us needs a circle. I need a circle. As I led our journey community this last Monday night, there were a handful of new people that were there. And as I welcomed them and talked about why we do what we do, I made it very clear to them that I need this circle. This isn't an option for me. And I don't just do that because I'm a pastor and that's what I have to do. I need a circle. When Carmen and I think about it, Carmen, we look over the last five years of our life, the challenges that we've walked through, marriage, family, work, health, we wouldn't have made it without our circle. We wouldn't have made it without our circle. We all need a circle. Circles can look different. Not every circle looks like a journey community. Some of them do. Some of them are life groups. Some of them are an, are an embrace table. Some of them are a group of men meeting in our men's group at Men 33 around a table together. But the thing that is consistent with our circles is that it's people learning to live the kind of life that Jesus lived. They're discipling one another. They're asking each other, how do we live the up, in, and out life of Jesus? And friends, Moving from rows to circles, it's not getting any easier. It's getting harder. As more people come, there are more people that need circles. Do you have a circle? And if you do have a circle this morning, are you open? Are you open to inviting people into your circle, into your life? Because there are other people that need a circle, and they need you to open your circle for them. We are going to be committed until Jesus comes back from moving from rows to circles. A second priority for us is that we need to think about care and prayer. We need to think about how do we take care of one another? Because here's what happens. When you bring a lot of people into a church, into a room, there is a lot of brokenness and there's a lot of baggage. And I'm not just talking about you. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about everyone. And we're not going to be a church that pretends We're not going to act like everybody's got everything all together because we don't. Pastors included. People on this stage. We've got marriage problems. We've got family problems, financial problems, people that are dealing with addictions, people that are overcome with anxiety and stress. We need each other. We need to learn how to pastor one another because the brokenness of this world, it affects every one of us. But here's what we have in common, friends. We believe that when we bring our baggage, when we bring our brokenness to the feet of Jesus, that he is, in fact, the only hope that we have to ever be healed of those things. We believe that to our very core. But I know as I look across this room, I don't know what every person's need is, but I know that there's a lot of them. How do do we meet those needs? Is it pastors? We can't hire enough pastors to meet all the needs that our church has. We just can't do it. But that isn't God's design anyway. His design is that we would learn to pastor one another. The role of pastors is not to do the work of ministry, but to equip the people of God to do the work that he has prepared for you to do. This is how Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 4. 
He says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip. Do you hear that? Equip. Equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Friends, in this next season, our church is going to be about what can we do to help equip you to do the work that God has called you to do, to pray for one another, to pray for your church, and to care for one another. We've got to be a church that is focused on care and prayer. Third priority is our next generation. When I say next generation, I'm talking about that slew of kids that are down there in base camp. And friends, there's a lot of them. And if you've never poked your head in down there, please do. There are a lot of kids down there. Over this last series, this Why Church series, multiple times during that series, I talked with you about some of the statistics that are around the American church. And generation after generation, fewer and fewer and fewer people are engaged in the church. Young people are finding other things to do with their time. We have a unique opportunity here at Journey. Not everybody is getting old like me. We've got a lot a lot of young people in our church, young families, young people. Like Brandon said, there must be something in the water because there are so many young kids. God has given us a unique opportunity as a church to shape the future of the church. I love the thought that the next lead pastor of Journey Church is down there eating a crayon right now. But while they're eating that crayon, there was someone who's down on the floor with them, taking that crayon away from them, (laughs) but also letting them know, I love you, I see you, and I want to help you know Jesus. It will always be a priority for us, friends, to shape the next generation, a thriving base camp will always be front and center to who God wants us to be as a church because every one of those little souls matter. They matter to God and they matter to us. We've got to think about the next generation. I got a text from a friend of mine that was recently helping out down in base camp, kind of a first serve opportunity. I got a text that said, there are 44-year-olds in my classroom. 44-year-olds opportunity. But we've got to figure out, friends, how do we create a kind of environment and relational space where every one of those little souls that God has entrusted to us feels loved and known and seen. The next generation is a priority for our church. A fourth priority is digital engagement. And you're thinking, what in the world is that? You might hear us regularly as we welcome the people that are in this room, we welcome our online audience. You may not know this, but on just about every Sunday, somewhere between four and 500 devices are tuned in watching while we are here. Hello out there, we see you. If it's working and it's not down, we see you. A few months ago, I had an opportunity, I was sitting with a church consultant friend of mine, and he was just asking me questions about Journey Church. And I threw that number out to him. I said, some of our tech guys told us that 
We have about four to 500 people that are tuned in every weekend watching our gathering. And his eyes just got big. And he's like, are you serious? Four to 500? And then he started peppering me with questions. Who are they? Where are they? And I'm like, I don't know. I can't even see them. I don't even know where they're at. But he said, you have to see them. You have to see them and you've got to think about how do you engage with them? When we think about what we want to do, is just, we want to engage people in our online audience because they matter. We want to see how can we think about loving, serving, and discipling people that may not be able to be here physically with us. Because I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here. You know this whole internet thing? I don't think it's a fad. <laughs> I think it's sticking around. And we as a church, we need to figure out how do we engage with people in those environments? And not just people that are watching online. How do we use the online platforms and environments to be able to connect our hearts together? That you would have more of a connection to the leadership of your church and the things that are going on in our heart. And we can hear from you in those kind of environments. Everybody is doing it. We need to do it. And if you listen to some people that talk about church stuff, online church, they say, don't do it. Don't even stream your services. You get the people to come here. No. We're not going to fear the online environment. We're going to fund it. We're going to move toward that. How do we grow and help people grow in the midst of that environment? Digital engagement is going to be very important to our church as we move forward. And lastly, this is big and it's exciting. More people requires more space. Our fifth priority is we're thinking about our campus expansion. What does that look like for us? We've been meeting recently with architects that are helping us explore and envision what does the next season of Journey Church look like as it relates to our campus. They're working with us on a larger master plan, but I just want to let you know that we're in the works right now of thinking about a phase one of that, growing our space. And the phase one priorities in terms of our space, and you've already heard me talk about it because it relates to the things that already matter to us is our kids. We need kids space. We need a type of space for kids that when they walk in there, they're just, whether they're able to express it or know it, they say, this is a space for me. I can tell this is prepared for me. They had me in mind when they made this space. We need to make kids space. And friends, we need to make community space where we can get around the table with one another, where we can look eye to eye to one another, where we can be a family together, where we can move from rows to circles. When we look at the history of our church, there are a lot of people that went before us, that worked hard and made great sacrifices to make room for you, to make room for me. And now, friends, it's our turn. It's our turn to start to think about what does it look like for us to make room for others? Here's what I want you to think about. This is what it's going to take for us to make room, to move toward immeasurably more. It's going to take a lot of people that are willing to put their hands in the middle and say, I want to be a part of this. I want to leverage my life and my time and my energy and my resources to be a part of immeasurably more. I want you to think about this grid. When you think about what might be 
your level of engagement? What might be next for you? I want you to look at this diagram. If you are new around Journey, maybe you're kicking the tires and this hasn't quite become your spiritual family yet, but you're thinking about it. I want you to think about gather. I want you to think about just committing to gather with us on Sundays, to hear God's voice, to hear the vision of where it is that we're going, what we're going to be about, and to let God move in your life. Maybe gather is your next step. For some of you, this is your spiritual family. You've already decided that. Maybe your next step is to say, where can I serve? In every healthy spiritual family, everybody pitches in. Everyone has a role to play. Everyone has gifts and talents to bring to the table. Maybe serve is your next step. Maybe connect is your next step. Maybe you're saying, I need to connect to a circle. I need to get life on life with other people that are trying to become disciples of Jesus and learn how to live his up in and out life rhythm. Maybe that's what next, what's next for you. Some of you, it might be lead. Some of you are going to be called to lead in all of these areas around our church. Gather, serve, connect, lead. Every one of us engaged in those things is what it's going to take for us to move toward immeasurably more. And friends, we have a God. He is so committed to more. More matters to him. I just want you to know that all this food is real and it looks really, really good. Jesus told a parable in Luke 14 and he told a parable about a great banquet. So that there was a certain man, we'll call him a king, a certain king prepared a great banquet for people. And when everything was ready, when everything was taken care of, he sent out his servants to invite people to come. But it was interesting, as they started to invite, not everybody responded. There were some that responded with, I just bought a field. I need to go see it. I need to check. I've got a work thing. That field is my life. I've got a work thing I need to attend to. Other people were invited. And their response was, I just bought five yoke of oxen, which would be incredible, lavish wealth of that time. I've got a financial thing that I need to deal with. Others were invited and they said, you know, I'm out. I just got married. My honeymoon is on my mind. No thanks. But the heart of the king says to his servants, go out, invite everyone. The lame, the sick, the crippled, the blind. Invite everyone, everyone, even on the margin of society. I want my house to be full. There's more. There's room for more. And the servants came back and they said, we continue to make invitations, but there's still room. There's room for more. And the king once again says, go out to the highways and the byways, every crack and crevice. Find everyone. I want my house to be full. Jesus was talking about a great banquet that is going to be held one day. We see this banquet in Revelation 19 called the Marriage Feast of the Lamb when Jesus, as the bridegroom, will invite his bride, all those who have ever bowed their knee to him, surrendered their life to him, and he will give them a seat at the table. There's a great 
banquet that's been set, but the king wants us to understand there is still room for more. At the very end of Jesus' ministry, he sat at a table as well with his closest disciples, sat in an upper room, and he instituted what we would call communion or the Lord's Supper. And at that meal, Jesus held up the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Now take and eat. And then Jesus lifted up the cup. And he says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. My blood that will be shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. But then Jesus said something that was very interesting. He said to those that were seated there, he said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until I drink it with you anew in my Father's kingdom. Most scholars believe that once again, Jesus was foreshadowing this picture of the marriage feast of the Lamb. But what Jesus wanted his disciples to know is that he's holding a glass. He's holding up a glass and he's waiting. Why? Why is Jesus waiting? Because there's room at the table for more. There's room at his table for more. Jesus wants us to see there's an empty seat at the table. There's room for more. In his heart, in his mind, there is always room for more. And in just a few moments, we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper and communion together. But as you do that, would you think about this chair? Would you think about the reality that there's room for more at the table? Maybe for you, maybe that chair belongs to you. You've never come to that place where you've surrendered your life to Jesus and said, I am all in with you. I'm bowing my knee to you. I'm making you my king. I belong to you. Maybe today is your day. Maybe as you come up to take communion, what you're gonna be expressing to God in your heart is I want a seat at your table. If that's you, take that seat. He's offered it to you. The invitation is there. Respond to him. Maybe for some of you, you know that you know that you know that you've got a seat at the table. But you know that there are people that you love that don't. Jesus would say, remember the empty chair. Remember the empty chair. Invite them. Invite them to come. Journey, this is the kind of church that we are always gonna be. There is always room for more here. No matter what is going on in your life, there's room for you here. In just a little bit, the band's gonna come up. We're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Who's this chair for? Is it for you? 
Is it someone in your life that you want to invite to take a seat at the table? Journey, there's room for more. What is your next Jesus, thank you. Thank you that there was room at the table for me. I'm so grateful to chase after a God whose heart is for more. That will say over and over and over to anyone who will listen, there's room at the table for you. Jesus, I just pray for our church that that heart that you have for more would grow in our hearts and that we would walk through our life knowing that there's room at the table for more and we would invite, invite people to your table. As we celebrate your table today, we just give you thanks for what you did with your broken body and your shed blood to create a way for us to have a relationship with you. We are so, so grateful. Jesus, it's your powerful, in your powerful and resurrected name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.